Welcome to Mindset Sagas. John here. Glad to have you with us. Today, Episode 2, Snow on the Nile. Due to the severe snowstorms in the area, all city schools have been closed for the day. Ah, snow days. The term may not be familiar, but the concept is well known. Imagine this scene. A child wakes up on a weekday, sees snow outside of his window, and then he leaps for joy and joins his family, who are already gathered around the radio, to hear if their school has been closed due to severe weather. Now, snowstorms may be more of an issue in the northern parts of the world, but the sentiment is common. Joy, because school is cancelled, and freedom of action and play are now unexpectedly available. One way we can reflect on this enigma of school apathy is to look back into the past and see how we arrived at this destination. In this episode, and in some of our upcoming episodes, we will be looking at school as it was perceived and understood by our forebears. Today we will be discussing education in ancient Egypt. We will be joined by Francois Pomenville, our resident historical consultant. Ancient Egypt likely requires little introduction for most, but allow me to preface our interview with a few points which I think are noteworthy. Ancient Egypt was highly influential. We know that in Sumeria, the Indus Valley Civilization, Katal Hayuk in Turkey, and other locales, that there were other civilizations making their own contributions to mankind. But Egypt had the staying power and massive structures that still defy time. What was in the minds of the people who could make such grand monuments? Today, in the industrialized world, we may debate the merits of public or private schools. In the ancient world, it was rather simple by comparison. If you had money and power, then you were one of the winners in the lottery of life and could have some kind of formalized education. If you didn't have these things, well, too bad. You just got what you needed to do the one thing that you knew how to do. Not much time for contemplation. This is especially true in Egypt, which was rather set in its ways, to put it mildly. If you think about how long Egypt had existed as a civilization, and that's many thousands of years, you could see it really didn't evolve much in its way of doing things. It didn't have to. As they were the ones innovating, while most people were just counting themselves lucky. Lucky to be able to catch their four-legged dinner and just be content with that. As highly as we regard the ancient Egyptian culture, they were like the pyramids they crafted, born with eternity in mind, but all things considered, also without much change. This resting on their laurels would one day be a liability for them as other cultures around them did change, and they often brought new weapons or tactics to bear against the empire of the Nile. We ought to remember, however, that for millennia, their way of doing things worked, and were the status quo for generations beyond count. However, because they were so unchanging, it makes it somewhat easier for us to paint a picture of their customs, which more or less stayed the same. As everyone knows, the Egyptians took the afterlife and spirituality extremely seriously. This focus was of paramount concern to them, as so much of everyone's life was spent on worrying about the afterlife. Loved ones and pets too, especially cats. Therefore, it should not come as any surprise that the most educated people in their society were priests. Medicine, geometry, and math were notable areas of their focus. I want to take a moment out to point out how the Egyptians viewed math. Math allowed the pyramids to happen, after all, 
A great engineer by the name of Imhotep was responsible for the engineering of the Step Pyramid of Djoser, somewhere around the 27th century BC. We have to imagine the man was the original Leonardo da Vinci, or Archimedes, breaking all the rules, but being able to do so because he was given a massive imperial budget in which to spend on his learning curve. Then it dawned on him, and it was easier for all those who came afterwards, because they learned that if you tapered the size and weight of these giant mastaba stones as you went higher, you could create buildings fit for a divinity. A breakthrough like that isn't easily forgotten, but innovation will stifle every time there is no need for change. To the Egyptians, certain numbers and powers were equated with magic. So who else should master this arcane subject but the priests? I think many of us can appreciate that sentiment when looking back at our own first contact with that subject in primary school. So when did kids, and I mean the privileged few, start their fledgling school years? Well, education usually started around five years old and ended by the time they were around 16 or 17. By the time they were 13 or 14, students usually began receiving their specialized training in accordance to their eventual profession, by which it's usually understood that it was the profession of their parents. Teaching methods were rigid, discipline was harsh, and they emphasized oral repetition, copying, and memorization. So enough basics. Let's ask the tougher questions to our special guest, Francois Pomaville. Here is that interview. So today we have our interview with Francois Pomaville. He's our resident historical consultant. How are you, John? Good. And you? Very well. Uh, excited to be on the show. Happy to have you on. Um, so we'd like to talk today a little bit about Egypt, which was obviously a major influence on much of the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Before we delve into Egypt, one has to ask what came before as far as education went? Uh, essentially, we're talking about hunter-gatherer societies. So we're talking about a time that's unfortunately a little difficult for us to imagine. We also have to rely on educated guesses, since by definition it's before history, before writing. So basically, anthropology gives us a good idea of what life was probably like. But the key word here really is survival. Uh, education in hunter-gatherer societies was all about survival. It, survival was a daily affair. Learning was almost exclusively about survival. Learning skills that would keep you alive, like hunting, fishing, uh, speech, what plants could kill you, what plants could keep you alive. Uh, and then, of course, weaving, hut building, everything to keep a small society, a small gathering, a group, a village together. If the tribe wasn't doing well, if one individual wasn't doing well, then the tribe mm -hmm. wasn't doing well. What were the trades, the primary trades of these proto-village dwellers? There might have been a handful of members of a given tribe who had access to what would be special knowledge beyond the basics of survival. Okay, so this is where education in hunter-gatherer societies was probably a bit more interesting. You know, you had shamanic figures, uh, individuals who had knowledge of the spirit world, who acted as spiritual figures for the village. You had leaders and warrior figures. They needed specialized knowledge, which basically boiled down to how to fight, how to lead men. War wasn't very organized, but still, there was... Uh, it's important to learn certain skills that would keep you alive in a fight. What was an early Egyptian school like? 
The bottom line is that your status really determined your education and your eventual position in life. So for most, education was at home. Parents educated you and basically you received an education that would help you in the family business. If you were part of the upper classes, then your family might be able to provide you a more elaborate education and maybe you would become a priest or a scribe. And then if you were lucky and you showed really great aptitude, you might get extra education that would lead you to become maybe like a builder or something. Uh, And then, of course, you have the super elite. Well, they got some really, really nice education as well. Hmm. What was discipline like? I would imagine it would be quite different back then. Yeah, well, (laughs) in ancient societies, there's no time to fool around. So discipline was very harsh. I love that quote from uh, writings of the era that survived. The saying goes, a student's ears are on his back. So essentially beat the child until he listens and understands. In ancient societies, survival uh, of the society was a primary objective. So you had to teach the younger generation how to keep this civilization going. And there was a lot of emphasis put on that. The old generation had to be replaced by the new generation. So the old generation made sure that the young generation would follow the rules. Mm Mm-hmm. So out of curiosity, were girls segregated from the boys? Yes. Um, To be honest, girls received a very limited education. Uh, Mm. If you were a commoner or even part of the lower elite, um, you you might not even have received an education if you were a girl. Um, If you were a boy or a girl. But uh, if you were a girl, chances are... Only the very top of the social strata would receive any kind of education. And that's true of most ancient societies. Did kids look forward to school? <laughs> there's, there's another quote that comes down to us, um, and it's uh, a student. I, I think it was a wax tablet. I might be wrong. But uh, the, the statement goes, lessons endured again. Forever like the mountains. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the, the, the answer to that question really is that kids are kids. Uh, it doesn't matter if they lived uh, 4,000 years ago or today. Um, I think some of them eventually developed an appreciation for education. Those who received an education were reminded of how lucky they were to have one. Well, what, one may enjoy a mountain climb after all. <laughs> uh, and later in life, probably. But when you're, you're a kid, I'm, I'm sure a lot of them were looking out to you know, windows in in the afternoon and wishing that they were out playing instead of uh, enduring lessons. That that's uh, that I don't think has changed much. So, out of curiosity, how important was merit? Egyptian society was very uh, static in some ways. It's almost a caste system. Uh, there wasn't much social mobility. So maybe once in a while, a gifted or talented youngster could aspire to more. He would be handpicked and educated because he showed some measure of ability in mathematics or uh, recognizing symbols. But that was really the exception. Scribes and priests had a bit more leeway. 
Egyptian society required to have scribes. Scribes were, were necessary. They were in demand everywhere. So I think on that front, for both the priest class and, and the scribes, there was merit. Merit was important. If you were good at your job, it was recognized and you would be in high demand. But basically, any long-lived civilization, and Egypt certainly qualifies, requires a competent administration in the end. So I think that in that sense, there was merit. But being able to rise up in status from a lowly peasant to to something more, that was almost never a thing. What role did the afterlife play in their view of education? For Egyptians, the afterlife was, to a certain extent, a reflection of your real life. This is not to say that if you toiled uh, during your life, you would toil in the afterlife. But certainly the Egyptians had uh, a view of uh, like a higher a social hierarchy, uh, and it was reflected in their visions of the afterlife. So I think it probably played a role in terms of reinforcing roles uh, and the education you received. So again, your status determined your level of education. What legacy did they leave us in terms of education? In terms of education, it's hard to say. I, I think we have to look at it a bit more broadly Ancient Egypt's biggest legacy was probably showing everyone what is possible. Um, we look back today on ancient Egypt and we're impressed. Uh, we're amazed at what they did, and then we're even more amazed when we look at the means that they had. And I think that from an education standpoint, emerging civilizations looked at ancient Egypt civilizations like Greece and Rome and thought, wow, this is a, a long-lived civilization. This is a civilization that has accomplished much. We probably can learn a thing or two from them. Yeah, this is just a purely fun speculative question, but I have to ask it. What do you think an ancient Egyptian student, okay, theoretically, if they were somehow brought to the present, what do you think they would think of a modern school? Putting aside the fact that they would have language problems and be astounded by the technology. Okay, <laughs> if you magically showed up, pass the language problem. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the first thing he, that student would think was, wow, there's a whole lot of food here. Everybody's allowed to eat. Um, then probably uh, subsequent questions like, uh, <laughs> what do you mean everyone gets to read and write? Um, and then quickly followed by, what do you mean we don't get beaten in class? Uh <laughs> Finally, uh, what do you mean everyone can run for office? What's that, and wh why is it that anybody can be pharaoh? That that would probably would be very confusing to uh, to the child, and uh, not to mention you know cell phones, Xbox, and the internet. But that, that goes without <laughs> saying. Yeah, C certainly, I think they probably would enjoy school a little bit more. The absence of beatings, I think, would be would be a big plus. <laughs> in this show, I started off talking about snow days and how children were happy to avoid school to be able to play. Um, do you think the Egyptians had their equivalent of like a sandstorm day? Um, I'm sure they did, and I'm sure they enjoyed <laughs> the sandstorm days uh, very much like the kids today would, uh, would enjoy a snow day. Probably even more so from everything you've told us today. Well, thank you for joining us today, Frank. We hope to have you on again soon. Thank you. I'll, I'll look forward to it. Bye. Bye. It seems to me the Egyptian student had it kind of hard. Ancient Egypt may have been a rough place to grow up, 
but it's always easier to criticize when other options are clearly available. They were among the first to try to sort out how civilization worked, and through their experiments, whether failed or successful, were others able to see what might be better to change. Perhaps it is because we haven't yet resolved all of the challenges in education that we still have children who embrace severe weather and school outages. I think to imagine there is a finish line to our struggle with implementing educational reform is but a phantom. But in its pursuit, can we improve? Thank you for joining us. I hope you'll join us again next time on Mindset Sagas. Many of the sounds used on the show come to us courtesy of Sirenscape. Thanks as always to Sirenscape for the amazing atmosphere and music. Make sure you check it out at www.sirenscape.com. You've just got to be using it at the gaming table or on your podcast. You can find our website at www.mindsetsagas.com. Thanks for listening to Mindset Sagas. We hope you'll join us again next time.